Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Well, we are in the book of Jude. This will be our final sermon, sermon number five, if you're counting. We're going to begin today in verse 17, and we'll read through the remainder of the epistle of Jude. I want us to note the first two words that he uses is, but you. We have reached a transitioning point. He has really given the hypocrites, those who slip into the flock unaware, those who cause trouble, division, whatever, preach or teach heresy. I don't think you can give them more down the country, as we say in South Carolina, than Jude has. But then he looks at us and he says, to the believers in the church, but, but you. This is what you have to do. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Before we read his closing, just... Look at those two verses. We won't have time probably to deal with them very much today, but have mercy on those who are doubting. There's nothing in the world worse than, than doubts. I pray sometime God help me to doubt my doubts. That would help me so much. I am a very analytical kind of person. I have uh, a tremendous appreciation for uh, scientific analysis and all of that. Uh, I've said so many times here, I am philosophically from Missouri. I want you to show me I'm not easily led in any direction. Believing and putting my faith and trust in God has been difficult for me to do. Just totally trust in Him and, and just totally know that if I just cannot do anything without His help and grace, then, then I can depend on Him. And I'll tell you how he's taught me that. He's put me in some places where I couldn't do anything without his help and grace. 
and a lot of it fairly recently. You know, I wish you could live life backwards. I've said that before. I wish you could just start out smart. And the older you got, the more ignorant you became. but it, it's, you learn those lessons slowly sometimes. But boy, God's grace is good and He helps us with them. He says, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make sure you stand in the presence of His glory blameless with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Amen. But you, he says, this is how you're going to have to do it. He says, I've already laid out for you that there are going to be many who will come in the last days and we're living in those. We have been since Acts chapter 2, technically. But I do believe that we see some things maybe in our world today that might match up better with some of the things that we hear about in the last days than maybe anything I've ever read in history. And I've read a measure of that. But it's incredible what we're seeing in the world around us. And, and it just comes in little things. I, I noticed this week, uh, just, it's, it's just weird. Our world is so whacked out. The director of the CDC, uh, who is really trying hard to get people to get vaccinated and all of that and, and, and whatever, she spoke about pregnant people. And I thought when I saw that, and I wasn't the only one, there were several that brought up the fact that why is she talking about pregnant people? I thought only women could get pregnant. But in today's language, there are, or in our culture today, you have to be careful with the language because there are those who are really women physically but consider themselves Men, and so when men have babies, you have to speak of pregnant people. And then they look at us when we say something against what comes out of the CDC. And if we say anything at all or cast any doubt upon it, they look at us as we are anti-science. And I'm like, you just talked about pregnant people, woman. I'm amazed. And all we could go on. It, it is you see it all the time. It it just it's one of those deals that you used to could find an incident maybe within the past ten or twelve years and and bring it up in a sermon and people would be amazed. But no more. It just happens every day, every week, all the time. You see it. I see it. Our world is like turned inside out. We've lost our direction. People care almost nothing at all about God. They have turned against each other. And it is amazing how uh, petulant we have become. We live in the greatest nation in the world. And all it seems that some can do is just grumble and complain. And then there are other people in the world that would give anything to be here. And, and they're going through horrible things. And my heart just breaks for them. So what are we to do? How are we to get 
through this. He says you are going to be attacked from without, but he says you will be attacked from within. And, and, and some of your very dear friends will be led astray. I, I shared with my wife recently, and not all of these were led astray. Some were led by God to go other places, but a fair amount of them made decisions that affected their life in a negative way is all I'll say, but I was sharing with Loretta the other day how many dear, dear friends, just since I've been here at Cornerstone, people I spoke with every day that I don't ever see them anymore are gone. I, I mean, they're around, but that sweet fellowship we used to have that working together and being a part of each other's lives. It's, it's not there. And even if I do see them out somewhere, it's not the same and will probably never be the same because of decisions that people have made. Jude says, get ready for it. It will happen. Some are going to be led astray. So what do we do? He gives us five things. He says, number one, depend on His Word. Verse 17. He says, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is always the test. Did the apostles teach that? That's, whether or not, that's how you know whether or not something is valid. Something is true or something is biblical. After the closing of the Gospels, after the, uh, you have read the Gospels and then you move into the book of Acts and into that apostolic era uh, of time, then just look at what the apostles say. When you're needing direction and you're wanting to know is something right or wrong, just look at what the apostles say. Look at what the apostles teach. I believe that Probably the best church manual that's in print today has been around a long time. I would say 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus is as good as you can get. Uh, you, you can, you know, maybe uh, add some details here and there and apply it some different ways. But as far as the basic truth about how the church is supposed to operate, those are called the pastoral epistles. Or as we say in South Carolina, pastoral epistles. But those are the pastoral epistles. And, and it gives us some great truth. And, and, and they were written and compiled and brought to us uh, by, by the miraculous power of God. He says, so remember what they say. Verse 18, he says, this is part of what they said. That they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause division, worldly Minded, devoid of the Spirit. Worldly minded. They're not going to think like you, Jude says. He says, just remember that. And when, when you run into this, he says, you're going to have to go back and look and see what the apostles said. Worldly minded people think, uh, for example, sacrificial giving is, that's just not expected. If it comes down to, you know, we're trying to support a mission somewhere on the other side of the world and and, and, and you still got bills this month you haven't paid. Yeah, you, God doesn't obligate you to put anything in that plate and trust Him later for it. 
That's worldly thinking. That, that's how the world thinks. I, I, I don't know about you. I'm not one of those that says, hey, plant a seed of faith, put a dollar in today, you'll have $1,000 before you get home. I, I, I don't know. I don't preach that because the Bible doesn't teach that. But I can tell you right now, worldly thinking is always going to look at things very logically. And, and it's never going to be dependent upon God. And when it comes to sacrificial giving, the world's always going to look at that like that is that's foolish. They they swindled you out of money you need for your own bills. Time at church that can get out of hand, boy. I don't know about you, but uh, I guess me being a pastor, I don't hear too much of it. But you may hear people in your own family go, "Well, why do you have to be there every Sunday?" You're always late for the family reunion, or you're always late for the get-together. And, and on Wednesdays, well, you're over there again, and then on and on and on. That's worldly-minded thinking. They don't get it. They don't, man, what I was feeling in my heart and soul standing there singing these songs, great day. As a matter of fact, we about got charismatic one time. I was singing so hard on one of them, I got out of breath and got dizzy and I thought man if I go to the floor it's going to wreck this whole place I was doing my best not to do a Benny Hinn right here in front of everybody I was like Whoa. they won't get that those songs will be well pretty but the cross Paul told us he says to the unbelieving, he said, that's, that's going to seem like foolishness. I know people that believe that the whole business of the cross was made up by people like Paul and others. And they got all of that from Canaanite ideology and Old Testament thinking where the gods would take their son or one of their children and would sacrifice them. And that as far as the death of Jesus, he died a martyr, not a savior. And he got in trouble with the Romans and all of that. And Paul turned it on its head and, and made it out to be some kind of sacrifice for sin that the God they know and understand would never do such a thing. It's just worldly mindedness. Don't waste a lot of time trying to change their mind. Absolute truth. Man, things being absolutely either right or wrong. There actually being a right and a wrong and we can know what is right and we can know what is wrong and it's never going to change. People who think worldly believe that that is far too narrow of a paradigm for us nowadays. We're, we live in a different age and, and we see things differently nowadays. I, I'm still amazed at how the scientific side or of, of politics in our country, the so-called science lovers can't figure out how many genders there are. And they speak of us as if we're anti-scientific. Well, I know which bathroom to go in. I'll just work my way up from there, okay? I'll say this. One other passage that I think is so pertinent, and we'll move on. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But realize this, Paul told Timothy, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, 
arrogant, revilers or blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Man, that made the list. Irreconcilable. No matter what you do, you will not satisfy us. You can change laws. You can throw money at us. You can do whatever you want. You can turn society upside down and we still are going to be mad and we're still going to demand more. We're irreconcilable. Malicious gossips without self-control. Brutal and haters of good. They don't tolerate it. They hate it. Treacherous. You can get killed. Walking the streets these days, reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Some of them holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, it's never changed their life. It's never transformed their heart. It's done nothing for them. It's just religion, he says. Avoid men such as these. Depend on his word. Secondly, he says, pray in the Spirit. He said, this is what you're going to have to do. If we're going to get through this cornerstone, we're going to we're gonna have to pray. And he says, pray in His Spirit, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up uh, upon your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. I love Romans 8, 26. says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness for We do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I don't even know what to ask for most of the time. You think about the power of prayer. We get to talk to the creator of the universe, but our wisdom has hardly caught up to to the ability of our creator. So I I don't know what to ask him for sometimes. Sometimes it's a burden that I would like lifted, but maybe he put the burden there for some particular reason. There's nothing wrong with asking him to lift that burden or to heal that pain. Or, or to do any of those things. Cry out to Him. He says you have not because you ask not in the book of James because sometimes we ask with the wrong motive. So I got all of that. So, so we can go to God. But at the end of it all, we need to be willing to say, God, but most of all, answer this prayer, Lord, according to Your will. Don't give me something, God that I think I need, but I don't need. Sometimes unanswered prayer is one of the greatest blessings you'll ever experience, and you might not even know it. You might not even know it. Praying in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is a curse. That goes back to the cross thing. The Jews couldn't handle the cross because they had already said, he who hangs on the cross is accursed. He said, nobody in the Spirit, nobody who has the Spirit of God in them is even going to say such a thing. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord even, except by 
the Holy Spirit. And Jude tells us these people that we're going to run into are devoid of the Spirit. You know, one of the things that I have got to learn, and I'm not very good at it, sometimes I have just got to learn to walk away. Oh man, I have people that I love dearly, and I'm sure you do too, but sometimes I just want them to get it. I want them to see it. I, 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 I want to change their mind, but I can't. I can't, and I, I'm not judging anybody and saying, well, I know who's got the Spirit of God and who does it, but I can just tell you this. If a person doesn't have the Spirit of God, if they're devoid of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul says they can't even say the things I'm wanting to hear come out of their mouth. Mike, they, there's never, they're never going to be able to do it. You are beating your head against a block wall, and it's, you're never going to change them. And maybe it's a pride thing, because I do like to be right. I, I like to win an argument. Man, nothing feels better sometimes. And, uh, you know, I never thought about it like that. I've changed my mind, whatever. But you rarely ever are going to hear that, especially when it comes to the things that a person can only know when they're possessed by the Spirit of God. You might as well be trying to point out a post to a blind man. His world ends at the tip of his finger. And if he can't touch it, if, it's not, if he's not able to sense it that way, it might as well not even be there. Devoid of the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Pray and ask God. God, what is your will? We can't raise the dead. They have to hear the voice of God. And you and I, even in our own hearts and lives, we need to say, Lord, whatever your will is, that's what we want. Depend on His Word, pray in His Spirit, abide in His love. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Paul's favorite expression, he uses it over and over to describe the Christian life, is that we are in Christ. And several times in the Word of God, it will talk about being in His love. In John's Gospel, he talks about abiding in His love, staying in His love. So exactly what does he mean? John 15, 9 says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. He tells his disciples. He says, so abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It's when I don't keep his commandments. And, and, and it's not a matter of me loving him. It's him loving me and me understanding that. But when I began to go and do things that I should not do and get away from God's will, and I began to get selfish and sinful, and, and I, I, I forget that, that, that I am accountable to Him or whatever it might be, if I began to misbehave, if I began to not spend time with God, whatever it is that I'm doing in my life that takes me away from Him, I stop abiding in His love. I stop being so uh, keenly aware of how much... He loves me. Yeah, recent experiences in my life, of course, have. I mean, they should have. If not, they didn't, nothing will. But 
it has drawn me closer to him. And I, 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 I don't say that out of any, hey, look at me way. No, I, I'm just telling you. So when you see me standing here on Sunday mornings and I'm singing my heart out, I'm telling you. It's just so different. I see people, and I know everybody's got different personalities. Please don't get mad at me about this. I know we all have different personalities, but when you stand up to sing, and your face is long enough to eat ice cream out of a stovepipe, and you just stand there like a dead corpse, worthy the lamb I'm like how how do you do that but you know I remember when I used to play football after a game after a win man there would be a group of us that we would be acting crazy we would be headbutting each other and doing all that cool stuff you know but you would notice the ones who were really going wild had the dirtiest uniforms in the locker room because we had been on the field we had been actually playing the game we had been out there mixing it up with the other team and yeah we were excited and then we had some other guys that boy they can just uh, take their uniform home hang it up and wear it again next week because they never made it into the game they're not nearly as excited so if you don't get in the game and if you're not spending time with God somewhere else don't expect to come to Cornerstone on Sunday morning and have us rev you up and get you all excited people leave church a lot of times not just this one church is everywhere well I didn't get much out of that well you didn't bring very much to it either you come in here and sit down like an old sourpuss. Say, all right, here I sit. Bless me. It's hard to do. Hard to do. But when we abide in His love, when we are really trying to live for Him, when we keep His commandments, He says, you are abiding in my love. You're going to know that the Creator of the universe loves you and cares about you. That'll change your life. That'll change your attitude. It'll change your marriage. It'll change the way you work. It'll change everything about you when you really have that assurance, when you live in that assurance every day that God really does love you. And yes, sometimes it takes some difficulties. It might, it might take a, a, an accident or it might take cancer or it might take something else in your life to really get you to focus. But when you do and, and you get your eyes on the Lord where they belong and you begin to live every day and make every decision and, and, and pray every day all of that knowing that the Creator of the universe loves you more than anybody ever has or ever will. It will change even that look on your face. It's amazing. You know, one of the hard things for me to do is just abide. Just be still and remain anywhere sometimes. I've always been, now the older I get, the less of it I'm able to do, but Charles Hummel wrote a book years ago. It's a little bitty tiny book, but boy, it is a great one. It's called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And it's about how we get so caught up in our lives, running here, running there, answering this call. You know, our cell phones, it's like a chain wherever we go. 
We're in full contact with the whole world. We rarely go anywhere without it. We'd rather leave our wallet at home than our phone because we got our credit cards on our phone. So there you go. You just got everything you need. And you rarely have a moment where you just go somewhere and you just are still and you're quiet and you're satisfied and you're content. Paul says, I have learned to be content. That's not something you get. It's something you learn. Just to be content. I'm going to move on. Depend on His Word. Pray in His Spirit. Abide in His love. Rely on His strength. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Verse 24. Man, I'm so glad He's the one that's able to keep me from stumbling. And He tells us, He says, now hey, Snatch some of them like you're jerking them out of a burning house. He says, you're going to see friends of yours, you're going to see brothers and sisters in Christ that are going to start listening to this crazy mess that these liars, these hypocrites, these deceivers are teaching. He says, you're going to have to grab them like you're jerking them out of a burning building. Make no bones about it. Be dead direct with them. In other words, get right in their face and let them know that, hey, this is heresy and you don't need to be a part of that and, and, and you need to get away from that teaching. He says, grab some and snatch them out of there like you're pulling them out of a fire. But he says, do it with fear. Because you know if you're trying to help somebody who's on fire, there's a real good chance you can get some of that on you. He says, be careful even when you get around somebody that's bought into that foolishness. Because you might wind up in the middle of it yourself. Trying to help somebody else. But he says, just remember, Christ is the one who's able to keep us from stumbling. Depend on His power and His strength. One more thing and we're going to move to our last point, but you know, so many people have this idea about, well, you get saved and God sets you up here on your feet and says, all right, now you be a good little boy. You behave. You know what you're supposed to do. <laughs> um, and, and you do what's right. And it's almost as if people think in their mind that he saves us and we keep ourselves saved. That's a, one of those lies that the hypocrites would come in and teach us if they could. You don't keep yourself saved any more than you saved yourself. I'm so, the, these arguments about losing your salvation, I, I really believe, and I'm going to be kind of hard here, but I really believe that some of these denominations do it out of pride and arrogance. It's almost like, well, that church over there at Cornerstone, they just believe that you can live like a hellion and still keep your salvation. When did you ever hear anybody over here say that? That's not what we say. It's not what we teach. It's not what the Word of God teaches. What the Word of God teaches and what we teach, because it's in the Word of God, is that we did nothing to save ourselves. Therefore, we can do nothing to keep ourselves saved. We are in the hand of God. We are not hanging on to Him. He is hanging on to us. So much more we could say. But I've been trying to get to point number five. 
this whole time. Last of all, depend on His Word, pray in His Spirit, abide in His love, rely um, on His power. Number five, stand in His righteousness. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, second part, and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless, with great joy. Wow. Blameless with great joy. How, how will it all turn out for me? I'll stand before Him, blameless, with great joy. I already know. I already know. Please don't hear me say, don't think I'm saying that like, yeah, I, I, I've been so all over it. I've, been, I've done so good. I, I, I already know. I already know the verdict. I do know the verdict. I'll never forget the verdict. It was you are lost and on your way to hell and you are hopeless and helpless and you have no chance at all of changing where you're going. Your only hope is to fall before God Almighty and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receive His righteousness as a gift of grace because the cost to get into heaven is you must be 100% righteous and you're never going to do that on your own. You have to receive His righteousness as a free gift and that's the one that can make you stand before Him one day blameless and with great joy. Man, I fail Him often in this life. Often. But I'll stand before Him one day blameless. I think the great joy will come natural. I'll stand before Him blameless. Edward Moat, he was born in 1797. Thought about you, Mike. I know you weren't born then. But Edward Moat built cabinets until he was 55. He was born in London. His mom and dad ran a pub in London and cared nothing at all about God. But an evangelist was speaking and he went to hear him speak and the Spirit of God spoke to Edward Moat's heart and gave his life to Christ. He was a faithful Christian, but after 50, being 55 years old, after many years of building cabinets, he went into the ministry. I, I don't know how good his sermons were. I never have come across one of them. But I came across a little song he wrote. Now, the team today had no idea I was going to talk about Edward Moat. They might not even realize they've already put his name on the screen. But I, when I saw it, I was like, of course, I knew when they started the song, I was like, where does that come from? See, I'm one of those, I talk about trusting in God. God can do anything and all that. And then when he finally does something that's just a little bit supernatural, I go, wow, shoo, Lord, Jesus, did you, whoo, 
I'm sure God is like, have you noticed the galaxies lately or anything big like that? Or is it just a set list? Doesn't take much to blow my mind. Edward Moat wrote a little ditty one time. He said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What a word. What a word. That, that's salvation. That's how a person is saved. We've got to get away from this stuff. Well, how you're saved is you pray this little prayer. Let me get it. I got a copy of it. I, I wrote it down when the preacher said it one time. No, no, no. I hope you can explain it better than that. I hope you don't have it on a card or a brochure. You know, they have these little brochures. They leave them around in places. Maybe you've been in the men's room and you just look down on top of the toilet and there's one that says, you're going to burn in hell. And it's only one color. It's all black and white, but the fire is red. It's to get your attention, and then it just gives you these little A, B, C, D, E, checkies off, and you got it. I don't know. I wonder if somebody's ever come out of the bathroom, went to the cashier, and goes, where do I turn this in? That's what it would feel like. No, this is salvation. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy Lean on Jesus' name. It's easy to say. It's hard to do because sometimes I want to help Him. I want to go, well, you know, I'm going to wholly lean on Jesus' name. And I, I know people mean well when they say it, but they just hadn't got it yet. Well, you know, God expects us to do the best we can. And then when we can't do anymore, He steps in. You can get amens in churches all over this country saying things like that. I want to tell you, there's nobody in this building right now doing the best you can. Okay? You could do better. I am just tell by looking at you, you could. I see it on your face. We all could do better. It's not a magical formula that when you've exhausted your resources, then God steps in. I can tell you, you can't even exhaust your resources until God steps in. Holy lean on Jesus' name. And when He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, then I may in Him be found dressed in His righteousness alone. Faultless to stand before His throne. Faultless? Mike Snellgrove? Faultless? Boy, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I don't know all of you, I don't know your heart, had heard a testimony from all of you. So maybe you are sitting here today. The church membership thing you got years ago, that's baptism maybe you were one of those that you've had that several times you're, you're multi 
baptized. I am. I was baptized when I was six years old. had no clue what I was doing. At about 15, I walked the aisle again. There's a lot I don't know about the 15 or 16, whatever, about 14 or 15-year-old. A lot I don't remember about that. But I do remember this on February the 13th, 1980. That was the night I got on my face before God. And all I could do for a while is cry. My life was a wreck. And that's the night I know for a fact that I gave my heart and life to Jesus. So I've already been baptized twice by then, and it hadn't taken yet. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, that's good. I already got that taken care of. And then I go to a service one night. And our pastor preached right after that about, hey, baptism follows salvation. It don't come before it. You need to get baptized after you've been born again, not before. And if you got baptized before, you don't get to count that one. And I was sitting there going, oh, Lord, here goes number three. If I don't drown, God, I'm going to make it. There was something special about that one. I can just tell you, friend. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you got the church membership thing, all of that. But if you, if all of this sounded strange to you today, this business of salvation, that you, 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 you mean, Pastor, that the way I get saved is I ask God to give me His righteousness. That, that would make that verse make a lot more sense now, would it not? When Jesus told them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not even see the kingdom of God. The Pharisees, really? That's the bar? They wouldn't eat an egg that a chicken laid on the Sabbath. When they went to Ingalls, there was a section, unsabbath laid eggs. And that's where they went. You can look it up. Ken Airwood told me about it. So good to see you here, buddy. Glad you brought your beautiful wife. Helps how you look. I'm just so glad to see you. Uh, if that's the bar, we're never going to get to heaven by doing and not doing. Quitting this and starting that. Pharisees, if you drug a stick on the ground on the Sabbath, that was considered writing. And that was considered work. You could only take so many steps on the Sabbath. They had what's called a Sabbath day's journey. And I know we've talked about this before, but I think it's so hilarious. What if you got down to where you had one step left and the house was just about to those green chairs? That's where the long jump came in. That's when it entered the Olympics. The Jews brought it in. How do you do it? If you saddle your donkey and it turns 6 o'clock on Friday afternoon, that's the Sabbath. If you take the saddle off, you are working. If you leave the saddle on, your donkey is working. And so guess what happened? You'll never believe it. They're just like our culture. You would go and find a scribe. He was called a lawyer. That's right. You just dialed all nines. And he would come over and tell you what all you had to do to get that poor old donkey unsaddled. He 
If you want to keep living like that, I feel sorry for you. But if you want to say, hey, I'm giving up good. And I'm going to give my heart and life to Christ. And I'm going to let His righteousness count for my sorry, sinful soul. Not because I deserve it. Not because I've earned it in any way. But if Jesus is willing to do that, and He's spoken to my heart today, and if He's spoken to yours, let's bow our heads in prayer. You talk to Him right now. No check boxes. You tell Him, you're a sinner. Tell Him that you want to receive His gift of grace. Be forgiven of your sins. Say it however you want to, in whatever order it comes out. You talk to God. Of all the people that were saved in the Gospels, we have many of them recorded, never did two of them say the same thing. Never. They all said different things. They all said different ways. Some only uttered a few words. One just said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I come to You right now and I ask You, Father, please help us, God. Lord, this might be a strange word that some have heard today, but I pray, God, that You would just step in there right now. That, that person that's sitting here right now with their eyes closed, God, they're, they're, they're praying to You. They, maybe they, they still, Lord, are somewhat confused or whatever. I, I, I know, God, we have churched people to death and we have so garbled the Gospel. We have made it so religious and, and such a sacrament almost, God. Forgive us, Lord. I pray that poor soul sitting here right now would just cry out to You. That, Lord, that they would somehow, in whatever words they use, they would let You know that they want to accept Your gift of grace. They want to be born again. They want You to transform their life. Lord, I pray for the rest of us. God, those of us that we do know You as our Savior, Jude has warned us. He was going to write to us about something else, Lord. But he said right as he started that You moved his heart to write this. That You moved on his heart to write to Cornerstone Fellowship and every other church in this world about those who would slip in and plant seeds of discord and false doctrine in the flock. Help us, God, as we face those attacks from within, as we face them from without. We love You, Lord. We praise Your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. 
If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.